look good. Yes. And I had to get a color-coded bracelet. Yes, like the one I'm wearing. Yes, and you know who else does that? It's the Mexican cartel. Thank you for your time, and let's go, Brandon. Okay. Hello, hello. Happy Friday afternoon, Friday evening. It is Friday, June the 10th. Thank you guys so much for logging on. If you guys will do me a favor and please like and share, like and share, like and share. I have a special guest that I'm, uh, once again, another amazing special guest that I'm super excited to bring on. I'm so thankful that he's taken the time. So please like and share this video. We are currently going live on Twitter, Getter, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, and Patriot TV Live. So, <clears throat> and of course, I'll also be sharing this in the email list. Uh, if you guys have not logged into the email list on securetheborder.us, to get the notifications and um, of, of podcasts like these and articles and up-to-date information and most importantly, up-to-date action items, please do so, securetheborder.us. So I wanna just go ahead and jump in. I'm super excited. Um, Todd Benzman is gonna be joining us today and he is a National Security Senior Fellow with the Center of Immigration Studies, also known as CIS. Uh, and prior to that, he worked with DPS. Texas DPS is a senior counterterrorism specialist, often working in conjunction with the FBI and Joint Terrorism, Terrorism Task Force, ICE and HSI. Uh, he also has an extensive uh, journalism career, including the Dallas Morning News right here in the great DFW. Uh, he, if you guys recognize that name, you should. Uh, he is everywhere. <laughs> He's on Fox News, uh, Newsmax, um, Bannon, of course. And uh, he also writes a lot of articles for various different news sites like uh, Town Hall, the Federalist Papers, of course, are the Federalist Papers. <laughs> Y'all should be reading that too. Uh, the Federalist and, of course, uh, CIS. Uh, and is also the author of uh, America's Covert Border Wars. This was actually a Christmas gift um, to me that my husband bought me. Um, I Because I just, I'm, of course, anything and all things that are border related. Um, so anyways, uh, let me go ahead and bring in Todd. There we go. Okay, I think we're good. Thank you so much, Todd. I mean, I could go on and on and on about your 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 resume and your expertise, but thank you. I know you're so unbelievably busy. Thank you so much for spending a little bit of your time with me. No, happy to be here. Thanks for for having me. I'm honored. <laughs> thank you. I wanted to. Um, I've gotten to know you a little bit. Uh, I'm, of course, I've read uh, all of your your articles, your books, and every your your book. Uh, you have a new book that will also be coming out soon. Uh, so I want to make sure that we plug all of that in and at the end of it, get, uh, you know, all of your information of where everybody, if they don't know who you are, where they can follow you, because they're most certainly going to want to read and learn everything that you have coming out. So I <laughs> want to make sure we do that as well at the end. But I, I wanted to bring you on today because, of course, you are all over the border 
all over the border on all sides. Um, but your expertise really is in terror terrorism uh, and it, hence your book, right? Um, but will you just go in if you'd like to just say a little bit about yourself and your all those things? <laughs> sure. I mean, well, for one thing, uh, you know, the the southern border and border security is always about drug trafficking and drug smuggling and uh, sex trafficking and labor trafficking and all these different evils that we're we're so used to hearing about uh, and seeing in reporting about the border, but uh, probably the least known and the least visible and the least seeable threat on the border is the national security nexus to all of this, meaning the counterterrorism nexus. And there most certainly is one. It's just simply, uh, it's not very visible because it resides in classified government realms and law enforcement investigations, which are sensitive, uh, and 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 people don't really understand what happens uh, down there when it comes to uh, immigration from the Middle East and countries like um, northern uh, in northern Africa, etc. So it's just not a very and it's a very contentious one. Uh, so when, you know, somebody like Donald Trump comes out like he did in 2018 and says, hey, did you know that there are terrorists crossing the border? You know, the New York Times, the Washington Post, all the cable channels, the networks, everybody called him a liar that you're just making this stuff up. That All that stuff has been proven to be untrue. Uh, and so it's it's contentious uh, because there's so little information about it. That's why I wrote the book. Um, I also knew that when they were fact-checking uh, Donald Trump that the fact-checkers were all dead wrong. There weren't that many people around there that were uh, around to that, that were available to fact-check the fact-checkers. Uh, I did the best I could, but it was kind of like a, a you know voice in the wilderness uh, on that sort of thing. The reason I know about that topic is a couple of ways: is you know I have these two different careers. I'm giving away my age here a little bit. I'm an older guy now, um, I'll just say, because I had a 23-year career as a newspaper reporter, uh, journalist in print, and, uh, you know, worked all the way uh, from, you know, my, my degrees are in journalism, my undergraduate, I have a master's degree also in journalism. I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, baked journalist. And um, a lot of those years in journalism uh, were spent in Texas and quite a bit of it on the border uh, inside Mexico and all around the world, you know, chasing stories that have to do with our southern border. In Texas, I was born in Texas and I've lived here for uh, a big chunk of my life. And then after my journalism career, I went to work for the Texas Department of Public Safety uh, Intelligence and Counterterrorism Division. They were looking at that time to rebuild from scratch the intelligence division of this gigantic billion dollar a year agency. Uh, and they were looking for some unconventional people with like unconventional backgrounds. And, and you know, so they thought, well, a, a journalist who's been doing national security would be great for this. We'll try it out. And and it worked out okay. I mean, they didn't fire me for 10 years, just about. So I stayed in there 
uh, and worked border stuff, a lot of it having to do with national security and especially with uh, illegal aliens who were coming over that border from places like Iraq and Somalia and Pakistan, places where there's a lot of terrorist organizations and institutionalized um, extremism, you, you could say, in all levels of, of those societies. So um, when people cross our border from places like that, you know, we have to look at them with at a with a different kind of a risk profile through a different kind of a risk um, management uh, prism, I guess. So anyway, uh, I, I, ha I, I did a lot of work on the border as a journalist and then in the intelligence business. And then in 2018, the Center for Immigration Studies fished me out of the Department of Public Safety and kind of brought me back to journalism a little bit. I mean, it's a think tank, a public policy think tank, but I'm writing and researching and publishing again. And 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 that's the, the fact that you know so much about the terrorism angle. And because uh, I have been cognizant, I, I also born here in Texas and then moved back here to the DFW area back in 2000. Um, and, and it was, prevalent then. Uh, and what I'm talking about is the known sleeper cells in this area. And, um, you know, I remember vividly where I was on 9-11. Um, and the terrorism factor has always, um, I guess, I've, even before I became knowledgeable uh, about it, it's always kind of caught my attention. Um, and so, and then living here in DFW years ago, you know, we had um, in the reports, we had a justice, uh, a, an honor killing um, here. And one of the places that they raided was right here in my city, uh, looking for the father of the, that, that murdered his two daughters. Uh, he was a taxi cab driver. Um, you know, years later, it was right here in my neighborhood where they were busting, you know, the FBI was busting down the doors. So again, it's, 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 it's always kind of been on the forefront. And now with the, when, when this, I will call it an invasion. When this active invasion currently right now or border crisis, pick your poison. Um, you know, that was always uh, always cognizant in my mind as far as one of the largest threats to my particular area because of the known sleeper cells in this DFW hub, if you will. Um, and there was an incident that happened just recently. And I think that because so many of us and guys, please like and share this video, like and share it. Um, we are talking to Todd Benzman, the senior fellow, a national security fellow with CIS. Um, and we're going to be bringing a lot of information uh, to you guys and hopefully here at sharing some information that maybe a lot of you guys haven't heard uh, because the news cycles are just spinning out of control with everything that the chaos that our nation is currently <laughs> under under but particularly here in this area there was and I'll, i'm going to pull it up right after I, I i shut my mouth and let you speak um but there was an incident uh, it was reported on june 3rd that um that there was an incident from um a, a known terrorist threat that I believe the FBI was was interfered with, uh, they were attempting, the gentleman was attempting to assassinate 
former president George W. Bush, which he lives right here in my area. So will you, do you are you familiar with this? I'm sure I know you are. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I've read all the court records on that and I've written I've already written about it and published uh, uh, my thoughts about that case. Uh, so just a, a quick, uh, you know, encapsulate encapsulation of what this what the case is about is uh, an Iraqi national comes to the United States on a tourist visa, three month tourist visa, uh, and overstays it and uh, claims asylum, which sets off a big, long, years long, backlogged process. So he he's here in the United States in Ohio, uh, waiting for his never or his forever claim to be adjudicated, and he takes this time to plot uh, the assassination of George W. Bush in vengeance for ruining Iraq and killing so many Muslims, uh, and and with implications to this day, uh, he fought with the. A precursor to ISIS. Back in the day, he claimed that he killed a lot of American soldiers. He was a, a planter of IEDs on the roadside, and he still had his contacts from those days, the veterans of his, of his terror cell. And he had this idea that he, with the chaos at the border, uh, he could bring eight of them in through Mexico, Brazil, the Darien Gap, along a very well-established migrant route, which I've written about extensively, and I've visited um, all different par parts of that same route. And he was quite correct. He, had, he definitely had this nailed. He knew exactly how to do it. And uh, he was going to bring those eight into uh, the United States to kill George W. Bush, and it was a, a, a it wasn't his plot. It was a, a particular leader of ISIS who is in Qatar, and they plan. He's the one that contacted the Iraqi in Ohio and and said about this. Now, luckily, we our FBI was able to get some confidential sources in close next to him, so that most everything that was happening. Uh, the FBI knew about at every stage uh, from that point on. I mean, but it was a real plot. The the people in Cotter, the leadership in Cotter, and the eight uh, operatives that he was going to bring in over the border appear to have been real. Uh, he claimed during the investigation to have brought in two other terrorist operatives prior to this uh, and that they were here. Uh, there's not a whole lot of details in the court records about them other than that they are Hezbollah operatives, which is interesting because this guy's Sunni, Al-Qaeda, ISIS Sunni. He brought in Shia Hezbollah. Uh, so I, I'm not sure what to think about that, but um, it, it, it does occur to me that, you know, that is a strange juxtaposition. They just caught him, arrested him, he actually traveled to Dallas and conducted surveillance. He was an on-the-ground operative with experience, and his job was to collect the weapons for the operation. Uh, so, so it looked like it was a it was definitely a going plot. Now, would he have been able to actually succeed in assassinating George W. Bush? He's got Secret Service and 
really pretty good former presidents have pretty good security. Uh, or maybe they could have just switched gears and attacked a shopping mall or whatever. But to wrap this up, the important takeaway from it is that it shows that the bad guys are very aware of the chaotic vulnerability of the southern border right now. And if these guys knew it, lots of other foreign terrorist operated operatives know it too. And that was the point of my piece for a town hall was to point out that the bad guys know that we are wide open down there and that they can take advantage of this. And to me, that's the big takeaway from it. Absolutely. And, and, and they are coming through our Southern border. I mean, even when I've been down there, uh, I've, I've even sent you some of the photos of even the things that I've obtained along the banks uh, of people from Uzbekistan um, you know, people, especially in the Del Rio sector, where the last few months I've, I've, I've concentrated a lot of my time, um, you know, uh, people, uh, Georgians coming through, people from China, Russia, uh, special interest aliens pouring over. I have documents and IDs, you know, uh, of, of some of these special interest aliens, the vast majority of which will, uh, chances are, we don't know what's coming over that border. And that's part of this, this huge threat. And that's one of my biggest things that I've been trying to wake people up in my area is because, you know, Texas is so large. And when they, they see, you know, the, the border, they think that it is a distant, a distant issue. Um, and, and especially the terrorism threat, I think is uh, particularly, um, you know, our area is particularly vulnerable to because there are so many documented sleeper cells in this area and it is so concentrated. And so I, in my opinion, uh, of course, there's a lot of, other, yes, the gangs, the the drugs, I mean, you, DFW is now number one for human and, and sex trafficking. I'm not saying that those things don't exist. What I'm saying is that this is one of those elements that I think because everything is so chaotic that I, I try to bring attention to this, like saying, hey, guys, remember this issue, because this is an issue that I truly believe uh, is is going to impact that is more likely or possible uh, to impact my area specifically. As a matter of fact, there was two uh, I did not too long ago. Um, I did a whole broadcast about the uh, pro-Palestine um uh, protests that we had here in Dallas uh, were over. Uh, Reportedly, it ranged from a thousand to over two thousand. Um, you know uh, that did not make the news. Um, prior to that, uh, during right after that, we had the uh, the incident from a terrorist that uh, killed and murdered a Lyft driver uh, in Garland, and then stole the vehicle of the Lyft driver and went and shot up the plane. I believe it was Plano. Um, you know the the police department there. Then, not shortly after that. Uh, you know, earlier this year, we had the uh, Colleyville, and I do consider it a terrorist attack. I mean, they may not be willing to call it for what it is, but that's exactly, he was a British national that came here, not even 10, 15 minutes up the street where my daughter played soccer right outside, you know, that, 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 uh, the, the Bethel, um, um, oh my gosh, the, 
the temple there. I can't think. The synagogue. <laughs> Words. I can't think. Sorry. Coffee. I need more coffee. I need more coffee. Um, anyways, you know, and it thankfully, thank God that that ended the way that it did without hostages. But these are all more recent. And then now this attempt on, you know, or this plot against, you know, former President George W. Bush. That, that that's why I feel like this is uh, an issue, particularly in in the Metroplex areas um, that that needs more attention. Um, and then I, I want to go in here in a second. Also, uh, I've been talking about the Afghan refugees and I want to go into that here in a second and I'll play a little clip. But do you have any thoughts on anything that I just said? Oh, yeah. Lots of thoughts. <laughs> um, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to have time to get them all out. But but most definitely uh, the there is a um, route that leads from all of those countries to our Southern border. Those, uh, migrants, you call them special interest aliens. That's what they're, that actually is government nomenclature for people from those countries who reach the Southern border. They get that label. It's a government label and the, uh, government, uh, is well aware of this, but you know, we have all these different threats and they're not just national security threats, but national security threat is one of them. And we can juggle lots of balls in the air at the same time, our homeland security apparatus. It's just that all the balls have been dropped and they're just rolling all over the floor right now. And the bad guys all know it. I forgot to unmute myself. Absolutely. I'm going to uh, let me pull up because there was not too long ago, there was uh, Project Veritas for those who are still able to follow them because they've been obviously highly censored uh, because gosh forbid the truth gets out. Um, they were able to obtain information um, from a from a federal source. Um, and it, and I'm just going to go ahead and play this and let this play. Um, my window over here real quick. Okay. A source inside the federal government has come forward to reveal suspected terrorists are roaming freely inside the United States following the Biden administration's exit strategy in Afghanistan and the government's initiative to shelter fleeing refugees, known as Operation Allies Welcome. I am so, so proud of what we were capable of doing and what we did in Operation Allies Welcome. We have evacuated nearly 28,000 people on both U.S. and coalition aircraft. We are conducting thorough scrutiny, security screening. Anyone arriving in the United States will have undergone background check. The records we've obtained confirm these individuals as national security threats currently within our borders. Meet Anwar Halak Wahidi, who is classified as a Category 15 threat by the Department of Homeland Security for having used explosives or arms. Category 15 falls under the Tier 1 threat level, which is labeled as armed and dangerous. Documents further reveal he was only added to the terrorist watch list after already being admitted into the U.S. on October 17, 2021, under Operation Allies Welcome. Wahidi applied the next day for his two-year work visa, and 10 days later, it was approved. Nazir Ahmad Rahimi entered the U.S. on August 24, 2021, flagged by DHS because he has engaged or is likely to engage in an unspecified violent terrorist act. Despite being apprehended by ICE while in the U.S., 
He is yet to be deported, and his last known address is in our nation's capital. Ismail Jarat arrived in the U.S. on August 31, 2021. Less than a month later, he was re-added to the terror watch list as a Category 15 for having used explosives or arms. Since then, his work visa has been approved. Tassinola Wafa Manazal was paroled into the U.S. on October 14, 2021. The next day, he was re-added to the terror watch list as a Category 7 threat if enters the U.S. And also approved for his two-year work visa, Iqbal Alakoze was arrested in Afghanistan on December 11, 2014, and charged with murder. But that didn't stop him from being paroled into the U.S. on August 25, 2021. Records indicate ICE dismissed his case, saying it quote does not meet ICE enforcement priorities unquote. He remains in the U.S. and his work visa is pending. This doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. Those we've investigated are just a small sample size, all of whom still remain within our borders. Our source inside the federal government has identified numerous cases involving people who pose national security risks. This begs the question: How could this be happening? I am so proud, so so proud of what we were capable of doing and what we did in Operation Allies Welcome. Thousands. Of our Afghan allies paroled into the United States swiftly receive employment authorization. We're also continuing to work with the State Department to improve the efficacy, integrity, security, and transparency of the U.S. Refugee Admissions Program, which, as you know, was almost dismantled over the last four years. To date, Operation Allies Welcome has brought over eighty-four thousand Afghan refugees into the United States. According to our source, known terrorists are also gaining access to the country through the southern border, as millions of people stream across unchecked every year. Our federal agencies are clearly aware of the crisis, yet seem to prioritize accelerated vetting over the security of Americans. This is only the beginning of our investigation. Okay, so、uh, you know, let me turn that off as it continues to go in play in my ear. The reason why I played that in its entirety is because it, it, it's number one. It's not just what's flowing over our borders; it's also what's being allowed in and brought in by our federal government.、Uh, most of them unvetted, unchecked.、Uh, like I said, this was uh, these forty uh, uh, over forty of the information that Project Veritas put out. This was just within the Afghan refugees, of which Texas. Um, and several San Antonio, Houston, and DFW. Texas is the number two spot for a lot of these Afghan refugees, and that's not. That's just what they allowed to come in from their debacle.、Uh, but then that also does not include everything else that's pouring over our southern border. So, what are your thoughts、um, on on that? Because、uh, right before this was released, you had also released a piece. About、uh, a known terrorist watch list, uh, watch list uh, uh, illegal alien that was released into, and I don't remember the city, but it was somewhere in the Midwest, I believe. And then、uh, there was another report out, out out from Fox of similar things、uh, where these people were released into the community on the FBI known terrorist watch list. That's right. Well, so there are two 
two, these are two separate uh, systems that we're talking about. One is the refugee vetting process, which is typically done by USCIS, uh, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services overseas uh, before these come. Now, that probably didn't uh, happen the way it normally should just because they were running and gunning uh, ahead of suicide bombers and a Taliban takeover of the uh, capital of Afghanistan. Uh, but, and that, that was kind of the problem with that is, is that, that that vetting process uh, was easily defeated. Uh, people like this easily defeated it because of the chaotic nature. Anytime you have chaos, uh, you should just pause, hit pause on programs like this. But anyway, the, the refugee resettlement program, the special immigrant visa program is, is one thing. What happens at the southern border when people show up and one foot touches American soil and they say, I want asylum. Uh, that sets off this other vetting process that's supposed to happen, and they're very different. Uh, and I would argue, actually, that the one at the southern border for asylum is is um, much more vulnerable to fraud and abuse and just human error than would be the refugee resettlement one, where where at least they're over there for a long time and we can study and think about it for a while. Not in the case of the, the Afghans, unfortunately, but but um, but if we're talking about the southern border, uh, what typically happens is people will cross in and we at least get a name. Uh, often we get a fake name, but then we have fingerprints too. And there is a chance that we can run their names against databases. And probably every year we find about 20, give or take, sometimes more, sometimes less, who are actually already on the FBI terrorism watch list, uh, the FBI terrorist screening center watch list before they got to the border, uh, which means that somebody downstream in their home countries or along the way or somewhere flagged that person and got them nominated, which means in my view that they're dangerous. We don't know how dangerous, but they are to, to get nominated and, and actually approved to be on the, on the list, on the watch list is it's, it's real. That's a thing. <laughs> so um, you don't, want ever to let anybody who's on a terror watch list through the border and into the country. You, we don't do that, that nobody does that. We try not to do that until recently <laughs> uh, because uh, what's going on at the border is kind of like what happened in Kabul. Uh, you know, it's just chaos and all systems, normal systems are, um, you know, faltering or uh, swamped or overrun or whatever. And so we have had, I've got, I'm counting cases. Uh, there are probably way more than this. This is just what become public to me. Somebody leaks me documents or Fox News publishes a piece. Um, and what, what, what it looks like is, uh, let's say this uh, Venezuelan, Lebanese-born Venezuelan that you talked about, he swam the Rio Grande. I wrote a big piece about this guy. Uh, he he swam the Rio Grande. He's Lebanese, <laughs> Venezuelan, 
who got to the border, that he flagged on the FBI's terrorism watch list. This normally triggers an FBI interview. Uh, he's probably going to be in the Hezbollah wheelhouse, this guy, although the documents don't say it. But nevertheless, he was watch listed. We knew him. He had uh, substantial derogatory intelligence on him, they found, and also determined that he was a flight risk. And so they recommended that he remain in ICE detention. Typically what happens is after we're finished with them, we've got all the intelligence, we've determined that he didn't come in to do something. He didn't come in with buddies or co-conspirators or whatever. There's, there's a whole lot of investigation that goes on when a watch-listed guy crosses the border or women uh, too, which has been known to happen. Uh, but Normally, they get to deported. That's what, that's what we do with them. We deport them uh, back to uh, a country that will take them. In this case, it would have been Colombia, which we have an agreement with to take Venezuelans back on ICE air flights. So the headquarters for ICE in Washington overruled the FBI's recommendation, and they cut them loose. And that guy is running around in Detroit pursuing an asylum claim right now on the FBI's watch list. It's the first time I've ever heard of something like that happen. Uh, I was in the intelligence world. I worked in this community on this problem. So I know what's supposed to happen and what is the norm. And the norm did not happen with this guy. The reason that they released him, according to the uh confidential documents that were leaked to me, I have them, uh, is because he was a bit overweight and uh, that meant that he qualified as at risk for catching COVID. So to protect him, they released him over the objections of the FBI. That indicates to me, that whole scenario indicates to me a really broken system. It, in, it indicates a big vulnerability down there the things that are supposed to happen, the norm, America's covert border war, all the things that I write about, what that war is, are like off the rails, man. Um, there's a, there are several other cases, um, one of which involves a Yemeni. If I, you want me to? No, go, go, please continue. Yeah. And I actually, I'm going to try and find uh, the article. And what I usually do as well, those who follow me, especially on fake book, uh, Y'all know it's a little bit easier. I've uh, gotten a lot of comments in here, um, but um, I, I usually even go back afterwards and I, I try my very best to put all of these articles in the comments for the people to reference to. Um, and and so I I will definitely if I can't find it and I know I had it, but of I'll course I'll tell you where to find it if you want to. If I can take a second, is please go ahead. Go to cis.org. That's my website, Center for Immigration Studies. That's our my my employer. And go to the blog uh, and you'll find it's, it's one of the menus and you'll find Todd Benzman and just scroll down five or six of my pieces and you'll find the one on the Venezuelan. Uh, I, and it's a link to, the, to that. I think I published that in Town Hall. Uh, I might have published it in the Federalist, I, I, but, but it's there. You can find it there and put that on there. It's, it's a fascinating story in a scary story, uh, you know, people, whoever it was that leaked the documents the, uh, is pissed off about this case. That's why they leaked it. 
that, that they that that the ICE headquarters released a known suspected Hezbollah terrorist into the country, and he's still out there. Do you remember the title of it? I'm looking. Um, you have so many here. You yeah, know what? Actually, let me just share it. And guys, like when I say that, um, this is where I go to get a lot of the information, y'all. Um, when when people ask me, you know, all the time, like this is CIS is one of the places um, that I go to and have gone to for a while. Uh, and and actually, I remember I was so excited when you you talked about it earlier uh, in the conversation when um, when uh, about the Darien Gap. I literally had it marked on my calendar. Okay, like I'm that person. Um, but let's see here. Okay, yeah, which scroll one? down. It, I mean, I, it didn't run that long ago. Um, let's see. Um, I think it's go to page two. It should be right at the top. Okay. Um, yep, there. I think I saw it. Here it is. This one. Yeah, that should be it. Or at least a terrorist into the United yeah. States. That's it. Okay. Okay. So you can, uh, if you scroll down, you'll see where whoever where I published it. This will be a link to it. This um, one. In the Federalist. The Federalist. I'm sorry, I there can't we remember. Go. Well, you're so busy. He writes. He puts out all this information everywhere. Spewing. <laughs> well, there's just so much happening. Um, and then um, while, you, while you're putting that up, I'll tell you about another uh, case. Now, these, these are cases that are very recent. So my book, America's Covert Border War, was already published. And so my book has a ton of cases like these. But these ones that have been happening for the last year or so uh, are not in the book, obviously. Uh, they'll be in the next one, though. Um, one of the pieces that I wrote is that you know we've had in the last year 42 twice as many as what i think is is an average normal since the biden administration took office cross the border who are on the fbi's terrorism watch list 42 uh in just the last year that we know of that means we caught them uh but it's also possible that we just like released them too i mean if we release this one guy uh, you know, we're supposed to deport them. Um, there, we work closely with the Mexicans. Part of the Americans' co covert border war is that we work very closely with our allied partners south of the border along the migrant trails. And in April of 2021, when the mass migration crisis was really ramping up, I mean, hundreds of thousands, uh, the Mexicans caught a Yemeni. They ran it. They gave him to the Americans who ran the name, and he was on the FBI's terrorism watch list. He was in Piedras Negras. You know that area. You spent a lot of time in Eagle Pass, don't you? Yes. Yes. He was just about to cross there, and the Mexicans caught him, and they brought the Americans in. There were interviews in Mexican detention. That's what we do. The normal thing uh, is we interview them. Uh, and got, get everything we can about them. And then we asked the Mexicans to deport. So they did. They were going to deport them all the way back to Yemen. And they messed up. They, they, the Mexican intelligence officers went home early uh, from the transit airport in Europe. 
and the guy got off the plane or never got on the plane or something like that. And he came right back. <laughs> he was in caught a second time in July, uh, less than a year ago in Piedras again. Uh, and this time it was July. And if you look at CBP data, like I do, you would know that July was the greatest number in the history of America in a single month. I mean, it was 220,000 uh, apprehensions. And if you think we were swamped on our side, man, the Mexicans were just as swamped on their side. And that's the other, th the other problem with, with a mass migration event like this is that it's not just our side. It's, it's, it's all the countries in between, you know, uh, and so the Mexicans were, were swamped and they let him go. They were flushing the lines. They were flushing the detention centers. And instead of deporting him, they let him go. And there is no way that the Americans would ever have authorized or, or uh, been countenanced the, uh, the release of a Yemeni on the FBI terror watch list by Mexico, never ever. Mexicans deport them when we ask them to. Uh, the Panamanians deport them when we ask them to. The Costa Ricans, uh, the Colombians. We have agreements about all of this that are just all laid out in America's covert border war, but it didn't happen this time. And the reason it didn't happen is because they were swamped down there that month. July 2021 was a terrible month. Uh, and we don't know where that guy is. The, the reason I know about this case is because somebody shared with me a be on the lookout alert bulletin that went out to all Border Patrol agents in the Del Rio sector. That's your favorite sector. I know it's it's mine, too. I love that sector. There's a lot going on down there. Uh, those are the people that shared it. Uh, as far as I can tell, they haven't caught him. He's probably one of the 650, 700,000 gotaways. Uh, and that is what we have to really focus on when we're talking about this issue in the border is this really heightened number of runners and gotaways uh, who, who slip through our front line because nobody's on the front line anymore. They're busy processing families that the Biden administration has decided to let in. And, and, and Mayorkas just, it was just announced, uh, well, Breitbart just released an article. Uh, I think it, gosh, was it today or yesterday? I forgot when I shared it, but y'all who follow me, uh, you guys might've seen it on my, on my social media pages. Uh, you know, Dallas is one of the places where Mayorkas intends to send even more, you know, um, I, I did, I, I did this whole, um, the, the influx facilities are just popping up. They're reopening with a vengeance and the NGOs are preparing. I've been trying to bring a little bit more awareness to that. Peter Perez in, in DeMitt County uh, and Jesse, uh, that, you know, they've, they've done, that's, I was down there in Carrizo Springs, that's their area. Um, and, and they're opening now. It even looks like from the footage that I just saw, it looks like the second uh, facility in Carrizo Springs. It looks like they're preparing to to open that one again too, um, and so uh, and there's there's other tips that hopefully I'll be visiting. But they they know what's coming over. Even though Title 42 was you know the injunction was placed, that doesn't mean anything. We both know that. I, I look and I've known for a while that down there, specifically in the Del Rio sector, that Title 42 from months ago was effectively 
uh, in many ways, you know, they, they were allowing a lot of them to just come in and be processed under Title VIII. So, um, you know, from various countries. And, and Title, they, eight being, Title VIII being expedited removal, you're clearly uh, down in the weeds, uh, Sheena, on this stuff. You're just tossing out Title VIII. Title. But um, but here, here's the thing. Um, my last trip, uh, I think it was about maybe 10 days ago, I was down there in the right, area. And I saw, uh, watch them. I've seen this before in Del Rio. Uh, what you're talking about, the nonprofits that uh, are accepting busloads of freshly crossed uh, illegal aliens to put them on Greyhounds and charter buses uh, within 72 hours of their crossing. They're processed in with legal documents, and then they're just going forth into uh, the country, to all four corners of the country. So what you're talking about is a, a, a really significant expansion of that what we saw, what I just showed in Del Rio, and it's also happening in Bank Island and all the way down in the Rio Grande Valley and in El Paso, everywhere, Yuma, um, is that Title 42 was stayed, the lifting of it was stayed by a judge. That's the pandemic instant expulsion policy where everybody is supposed to be thrown back into Mexico with no chance to, to apply for the bogus asylum that gets them in bogus asylum. Nobody's, nobody that I meet down there is, is, is eligible for asylum. These are economic migrants. But what happens is um, they're being put on these buses and the exemptions that have, the reason so many are coming right now is because despite this judge's order that this 42 stay in place, the administration is making exceptions for Everybody except Central Americans uh, in Del Rio, if you come to Del Rio and you are from Africa or Somalia or Iraq or Syria, you are exempt. You are not going to be pushed back into Mexico. You're going to be on one of those buses. Um, now, America's covert border war describes uh, a near war and a far war. The near war that we, these are counterterrorism programs that have been in place in, for years. I was part of the near war. I operated in it as an intelligence officer. Uh, I, uh, that involves going to having intelligence people going down and interviewing these migrants from these particular countries that flag as special interest aliens. And that's in normal times we have this goal of 100% interviews uh, because they're coming in with no ID cards. You know, they throw them. Uh, nobody has identification cards. They say, my name is Mickey Mouse. Uh, I'm from, you know, Somalia. I declare asylum. And the only thing that we can do is like interview them eyeball to eyeball and try to figure out what they're about. Uh, it's a very important uh, element of the near war, of the covert border war. And in normal times, we uh, were only interviewing about uh, a third to a half of all SIAs before they were cut loose, which means that we don't know, uh, you know, we didn't have an opportunity to maybe catch them in, in a lie or, or uh, learn something about their background that would, that would be a red flag for 
continued detention. And so, you know, one thing that my team did when I, that I had my team do, uh, starting with like an, an official program was that we would go down there and try to interview the, the ones that were about to get freed and nobody else could get to them so that we could capture data and intelligence and whatever else we might learn. Well, that's when they're detained. When, as you say, Title VIII, uh, when they're, they're, the law says they have to be detained. And we were doing a, a lot of that. I mean, not all the time, but we were doing it a lot. And we could go down there and interview them in the detention facilities. But under the loopholes and the exemptions in Title 42 now, detention is bypassed completely. There is no detention happening whatsoever. Um, so I have to, I have to uh, hope that they're at least holding the Somalis and the Syrians and the Iraqis and the Pakistanis and the, as you said, the Uzbekis and the Georgians, and those are all SIA countries, uh, and that we are going down and interviewing them, that we're getting some kind of a hold on them. How, how long, I have a question, um, how long the with those special interest aliens, typically under normal circumstances, because there's nothing normal about this administration and what's, what's, what's going on with anything about this, this border crisis, under normal circumstances, how long would it typically take to thoroughly vet, uh, to, to make sure that these special interest aliens are not on a terrorist watch list? How long, um, you know, or something along those lines, how long would that typically take? And, and, and we talked about the 72 hour turnaround, which every time I'm driving down to the border, south, you know, south on 35, those buses all over a year, you know, 16 months now have been coming north to my area on 35. So how long does that typically take? I mean, it depends. The first thing that happens is, you know, we run their, you know, there's biometrics now. And so, you know, you, you could get their retinal scans and their fingerprints to just make sure those get run through pretty quickly. And if they flag, uh, then everybody, the, the, then it's a five alarm fire. Uh, everybody gets on this thing and we investigate and the FBI, the, other intelligence agencies uh, all get involved in trying to figure everything out that they can about a watch listed person. But the problem is, is not everybody's watch listed. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, there are a lot of bad guys out there that are, that are not on the radar. They're clean. If you're, if you're a terrorist organization, you're going to send somebody in, you're going to want to send somebody that you think is clean so that, so that nothing flags on the watch list. Um, now, a lot of watch listed people don't know they're on the watch list. A lot of them do know that they're on the watch list. They, there are ways that's an, another novel, but the, the problem is that the vetting that we do the on SIAs who flag special interest aliens who flag, who are not on the watch list. They're just flagged SIAs is just completely imperfect. A they're not on the watch. They're not all on a watch list. Uh, B, they're from countries that have no databases. They're pre-modern countries that are just, I mean, um, if, uh, there's, a, there's a, a Mexican journalist named Oscar El Blue, who right now is in southern Mexico with a caravan, a big caravan 
the largest uh, one uh, reportedly uh, it's, it's over what between 15 to 18,000 something like that yeah and Oscar tells me I said what's the nationality makeup of that and he said well there's you know a lot of Venezuelans a lot of this and a lot of that but he says I'm also seeing a lot of Somalis here uh, and we haven't seen a lot of Somalis in a while it's been they they come in 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 surges from Somalia and then they dry up but um, all of a sudden we're seeing Somalis. Well, Somalia is a place that is half occupied for years and years with the U.S. designated terrorist group Al-Shabaab, which, you know, required membership. They, uh, you know, conscripted people. Uh, they, you know, had people come in uh, and they were involved in their terrorist activities. And, you know, they are an avowed anti-American. You do not want anybody... Uh, uh, admitted into the United States who had anything to do with Al-Shabaab, you're out. Sorry. Uh, it's a dangerous thing. But but Somalia had no police, no government for 30 years. Nobody who was born after 1990 has even a birth certificate. Nevertheless, or, biometrics. Right. Driver's licenses, <laughs> marriage certificates, criminal histories, you can't call the Somalis up and ask them for an intel share. They, they, and then even when they, um, the, when Shabab took over uh, the country, there was a period there when they took over. It, was, it wasn't called Shabab at that time. It was called AIAI, um, the Islamic courts, uh, which is the same thing. But when they took over the government, went into the archives, they did have a whole set of years and years of the population, they burned everything. So now there's not even anything from people who were alive and born before 1991. So you can't, there's no wall to bounce a ball off of here. And, and uh, that, and that is even under normal circumstances. That's right. That these are, these are the, the, the challenges um, under normal circumstances. And then when you have the situation like this, uh, no borders policy, uh, you know, uh, with, with over, there, there's no way to really truly know how many people have entered in this country illegally through that porous border. I mean, yeah, they have the estimates with the Godaways and, 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 and that that's, you know, the recorded apprehensions, but there's really, truly no way to truly know. Uh, and then in addition to that, we have the chaos with, the refugees that were brought over and, and, and them not being able to fully do the best job. It's not that they're not able to, that's a poor choice of words. They could have, if their resources weren't, you know, so stretched so thin. And honestly, in my opinion, they just don't care. They don't give a damn. They don't give a damn about this. And this is my opinion, my opinion, they don't care about this country. In my opinion, this is fully intentional. And so when you have it, we are getting slammed from all sides. Any one of these situations is already horrible and, 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 and a threat, a potential threat. But all of these situations together is astronomical and mind-blowing. Do you think that that's a somewhat fair assessment? Um, define astronomical. Well, uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's overwhelming, uh, and you know, just chaos is not. It's just never good for running a Starbucks, or 
a restaurant, let alone a country that is depending on its intelligence services and law enforcement and government to protect the people inside the country. Um, just uh, real, real quickly, um, if I can, the just back to the Somalis. It's it's the reason why the face-to-face -face interview is so important because you don't have a, a wall to bounce the ball off of in Somalia or for Libyans or for Congo, which has a huge ISIS uh, problem and Nigeria, which has Boko Haram and there's all these Nigerians coming and Ghana, which has and Senegal and Mauritania. Uh, they don't, or, or Iran. I've met Iranians. Uh, and, you know, you can't call the Iranian government and ask him for an intel share. We're enemies. Uh, so, or, or the Syrian government. We can't call Assad. We, we, we don't like them and vice versa. So um, the, the interview is, is all important because when you're eye to eye with these people, you can, you, and you're asking them particular questions, you can catch them lying. And when you catch them lying, if you've got nothing else, uh, but but they're being um, deceptive, uh, that is enough then to delay their release and open and, and justify further investigation. Uh, but but I don't have faith that we are doing these interviews anymore right now. I can't. I don't think we're just. We're, I don't have the intel about whether they're what we're doing right now. Um, I, I, I think that we we're doing some interviews. Like if they're coming from, if they're a watch listed person and they flag, we're interviewing. All the three letter agencies are down there interviewing. But if they're from Bangladesh or Eritrea or uh, Mauritania, Senegal or some of those places, I don't trust or Ukraine, or uh, not Ukraine, but um, Uzbek, Uzbekistan. We've had a lot of those. I don't think we're interviewing them, and I think that we're at heightened risk because of this. Yeah, and I've seen a, I've seen a lot. You mentioned Senegal. I've seen a lot of documents uh, personally down there in Eagle Pass. Well, and I've when from I've Senegal, hung out, I've hung out with them. Yep. I mean, they're coming. They're real. And what you mentioned, and I think it's important, Oscar Blue with Border Network News uh, is a partner with uh, Anthony, my brother Anthony. Shout oh. out. Uh, I know that he was out there uh, with Ben out there in Arizona. So, um, but with with what you were mentioning too, the vast majority of those who, who Oscar has been interviewing has all, um, has all said that they were planning on coming to the Del Rio sector. That's right. That's right. Del Rio uh, is is um, it's a favored place. Uh, uh, I discovered I discovered why it was a favored place back in on a reporting trip there in March of 2021, really early in the way before the Haitian migrant camp. And what I found was that on the Mexican side, the, the, there's no cartel piso. You don't have to pay thousands of dollars to cross. You can cross yourself. The, 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 the cartels don't care. If, if, you, if you're paying the cartels at all, it's from way down south at some other point, but not there. And they don't beat them up or kill them if they cross on their own and they get caught crossing on their own. Unlike in most of the rest of 
uh, the Texas border. And be, so that's an economic incentive for people to come to Del Rio because they don't have to pay thousands of dollars ahead to cross there. They just walk across on their own and turn and, themselves in. And I, I would be shocked if part of the reason why uh, Del Rio, in addition, in addition to that, if part of the reason why uh, Del Rio, uh, the Del Rio sector, uh, which of course we're talking Del Rio to Eagle Pass and everything in between, um, if it's because the word has gotten out that they pretty much have effectively for a few different countries lifted, you know, the Title 42 uh, that we were talking about. They, they, they're on their phones. I've gotten y'all have seen me where I'm, I'm, I'm I have to be stern with uh, when we had a almost tripped over a group of illegals uh, of men over there in Eagle Pass hiding in the reeds. And that man, they could not that one. Uh, he was he was on that phone. They, they send those messages instantly. Right. You know exactly how it works. That is how it works. It's it's um, an instant live intelligence network that goes all the way down to the home countries. Uh, so when uh, I mean, I was in when I was in Del Rio and, and all the other thing is, is that, you know, there's an infrastructure there where they're into Border Patrol for a day or two. And then they're on the bus at that nonprofit right there. And so it's it's cheap to cross. In fact, they don't pay anything to cross. The, the cartels do not bother them. There are no cartels bothering them on the Mexican side in Piedras or in uh, Acuna. Uh, so that's that's you're saving thousands of dollars uh, by doing that. And then you have transportation right there. Immediately. <laughs> immediately. You're intended to immediately, effectively. I'm not surprised whatsoever that Oscar's hearing that every one of them are going to Del Rio. Uh, I reported... On, on Del Rio as a favored crossing spot in March of 2021. And by the way, um, the story I just told you about the Yemeni in Mexico, if you just scroll a couple more down from uh, on the website, you can find that story that I wrote about that guy, that Yemeni Okay. I, I will go back and hopefully also they, uh, as a matter of fact, let's just plug it in really quick. Where can people, and guys remember to like, and share, share this everywhere. Uh, Getter, Twitter, Facebook, um, you know, YouTube, you guys can follow me on YouTube and, and, and then share that link for those, um, who are not on social media. And of course I'll put this back onto the website, secure the border.us. Um, but where can they follow you because you guys, CIS and you and so many others, you guys put out some amazing information that they're there. It really goes into the thick of things. Where can they follow you, your social medias, and of course, be able to purchase your book? Sure. Well, uh, my, my employer is the Center for Immigration Studies. I'm a senior national security fellow there full time. And um, that, that all of my writings for CIS uh, is at cis.org. Uh, and then um, I'm on Getter, T. Benzman, Getter, and I'm on Twitter, Benzman Todd, backwards, Benzman Todd on Twitter. Um, that's about all I really do. I, I, um, I have a, a website, toddbenzman.com, that has all of my work and a historic kind of portfolio of everything I've done over the years for all different publications are at toddbensman.com. 
And um, really quick, because of course, the, and thank you so much again for coming on. I just, I know you're so busy. Like he's constant. You guys see, like look and see all the work that he does. And he's currently still working on the, when, when's the book? When do you think that that's going to be uh, going to be out there? Cause I'll be, I, I need to order it. Can I pre-order it? <laughs> well, not yet. Uh, but it's, it's uh, my deadline is June 30th. I have about three weeks to put the turn the manuscript in and then there's editing and all that kind of stuff to the publisher. It's post Hill press bombardier, uh, books with post Hill press. And we're, we're aiming to get this out in, you know, August, um, for the, in time for the campaign season to really catch some of that wind. And right now the book is about this border crisis, how it started, what it looks like, why it, it, seems to be endless uh, and how to end it. And it's a, a based in large part on a lot of my reporting uh, from day one of the administration. I'm going to just pat myself on the back here real quickly. I don't like to do that too often, but uh, in um, I want to say in 2020, I predicted, I wrote a, a column predicting that, that if Democrats won the election, that there would be a major uh country altering mass migration event. I wrote it again in November of 2020 that it, it's coming. If that, if Biden wins, we will, we'll have an immediate flood and that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. And, and because of that, um, right after the inauguration, I was on the border, man. And, and and real, and of course you should pat yourself on the back You and for the record, Todd is like one of the most humble men that I know. He's, he's, he's like the most down to earth. I, I mean, it's just been such a pleasure to get to know you just a little bit uh, because you're just an average, even with your, your long resume, you are just so approachable and you're just like, yes, this is it. And, and this is that. And you're, you're, he is the, so yes, pat yourself on the back. You do a lot of work and you are the, one of the most humble guys. So thank you. So thank yes. You. But, um, and as far as, because um, I always try to close it with an action item because I do feel, of course, uh, and I hope that I made the case, um, you know, and really quick right here, uh, I will share this really quick. And then I know I'm running a little bit longer than usual. Um, but as we started um, the conversation with Afghan uh, evacuees and the infiltrators, um, you know, uh, the terrorism, terrorists, on the terrorist watch list. And that's not saying that all of these, you know, that are coming over, you know, are, 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 are terrorists. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying at all. So pump your brakes. What I am saying is that it only takes one. And, and if you guys go back and listen to this conversation, uh, why this is concerning, well, this is what I was talking about. Houston, um, Dallas, you know, uh, Austin, um, San Antonio, um, we we are getting slammed. This is where the Afghans have resettled. Texas is on the top of and that. Just that alone and the issues of that alone is enough concern because they obviously um, were not able to get a lot of the vetting done uh, that should have been done that under normal circumstances would have been challenging, um, but they, they possibly would have had a better handle on this. Um, in addition to everything else that we're talking about coming over the border, um, and this is, I do feel like this is 
you know, a, a real threat in addition to all the other elements, you know, like we talked about the drugs, the gangs, the sheer numbers, the schools, the hospitals, the impacts on all that. It's, it's never ending. Um, and the fact that they're planning on sending even more right here to my area, according to the Breitbart article that we spoke about just a little bit ago. But um, I always want to try and close out with uh, with an action item. Now, yes, I know that the <laughs> Right now, especially on the federal level, a lot of that stuff's just not going to happen. But one of the things that you had said as it relates to the terrorism threat, um, you know, and, and maybe this is something that when the timing is right, I can, in my little voice, in my little corner, my box over here that I can try to help talk about a little bit more. But what were it really quick, um, you had said uh, that Texas was one of the states that did not partake in the uh, state uh, the, the the state statute, correct? And that is something that it could potentially be an action item to try to help combat um, it, th those the victims, um, you know, of God forbid a terrorism attack or or something along those lines. Can you just is that a, a feasible action item? Do you believe that a security yes, order might um, be able to help with? Yeah, uh, I when I was in still with uh, the state of Texas working intelligence uh, internally, I was a, um, a strong advocate and an initiator of the idea to that Texas should have its own terrorism statute. Uh, it's one of 17 or 18 states that don't have its own statute. And there are uh, really good reasons why Texas needs to have its own statute so that it can charge cases when the federal government won't charge a case and it, we can call something terrorism and it requires um, that we provide justice and closure and public knowledge that a terror attack has happened here uh, and, and, and have enhanced penalties uh, and also possibly a statute, a Texas terrorism statute would uh, provide some kind of remuneration for the, the survivors' families. Uh, and really, this is about the survivors, uh, as well as sending a message to other jihadists that if you want to do something in Texas and the feds aren't going to do anything about it, and this happens all the time, uh, I, I, this is another whole other show. Right. Um, you know, especially during the Obama era, but also during this administration where they're clear cut terror attacks and they won't call it a terror attack. Uh, sometimes states need to be able to take things into their own hands. The Texas legislature, the Texas governor uh, will find a draft in the archives. I, I know all about this. I have hands on my fingerprints will be all over those all over that statute, a draft bill uh, for a Texas terrorism statute. I think that it, it, it is, uh, you know, look, New Jersey does it, Arizona does it, um, lots of states do it. And Arizona and New Jersey are two examples of states that, that use their terrorism statutes in real cases uh, and took it to the jihadists. And especially in this moment in time when uh, I believe that this border crisis and, and all the everything that we just spoke about is is look the, the federal government is is helping to facilitate this. Um, I think that that is one of the things that 
Um, you know, I'm always in search of things that the state of Texas that or that can be done on the city, county and state level. Um, and I found that and I read all that, you know, the articles that you put in and did a lot of rabbit hole digging. Uh, I kept on clicking the links from there. So that is one of the things that come the ADA session, I will be ready and prepared to go. Hey, my friend Todd Benzman says we should do this. And uh, so I'll be hopefully reaching out to you a little bit more, uh, you know, and be like, hey, let's 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 get this done. Let's do there's this. No doubt, there's no downside at all that for Texas having this and a lot of upside. And and it could help in many ways. So thank you so very much, Todd. And th to everyone who tuned in, thank you guys for hanging on. I hope that you guys found this information uh, you know, well, this information, this 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 broadcast informative. Um, I'm just so thankful, Todd, to, that you were able to take a little bit of your time, or actually a lot of your time. Now, I'm sorry to keep you over, but I could no, we could I go on be, and on and on. So happy to do it. And you know, Sheena, you're you're a you're true blue man. Uh, I know you're down there, you're down there in the weeds, and not too many people are doing what you do. Uh, it's a dangerous thing that you're doing, uh, but uh, incredibly needed. Uh, keep keep doing that, but man, be careful. Yeah, I'm I'm the crazy I'm the crazy mom that will travel all over the great state of Texas, uh, doing these crazy wild things. But yeah, I, we all need to be careful. So, <laughs> and uh, if we if we're not careful, that's that's what I'm trying to get this information out for, so that this way I, I respect that, and everybody watching your show ought to respect that that you're down there uh, seeing it and and watching it and, and collecting on this. And man, do your own show if you can't find a, a Todd Benzman to come on, because you've got plenty to say. I've been in the truck with you for a long time. <laughs> of time, I know. Yeah, I can talk a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but thank you so very much. Do you have any last closing remarks before we go? Not really, uh, but I did forget to tell you that uh, Afghans are coming over that border too. Lots of them are coming over that border all the way in. Uh, and, um, and I've written about those too. So, uh, but they're coming in too. They've always come in from Afghanistan. So the ones, and there's actually a, a court case that I've written about where one who came in on a special, uh, interest visa in 2009, he worked for our, our forces over there, uh, smuggled in a national security threat Afghan over the southern border, and he's in prosecution right now. Nobody has written about this story except for me. Uh, it's out of uh, New Jersey. The guy's name is Saifi, S-A-I-F-Y. Uh, and that case is still just sort of hanging out there. Uh, don't let it, don't let anybody, don't don't rest on your laurels just thinking that 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 the security problem vetting with Afghans is just about the refugee resettlement program they're smuggling in over the border too and their 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 national security threats well i'm going to try and find that as well and push that out so i thank you so very much for everything todd thank you so much for coming on and and hopefully we'll be able to do this again uh maybe later on maybe after you 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 put out that that next book so <laughs> right well i'll probably see you down at the water 
Yes. Yeah. And also, uh, you will also be at the convention speaking at the luncheon on Saturday. Uh, Kelly Perry is holding an event. Uh, so I've also included that and I'll, I'll share that. And also we're having our own events that Friday night. Uh, but Todd will be there uh, for the luncheon on Saturday. I don't remember the time, but I'll, I'll share that flyer out there. Uh, so if you guys want to see him live and in person and you guys are planning on going to the convention, first come see me speak on Friday night uh, to find out what you can do in your uh, to become your own border advocate in your own city, county, uh, and, and within the great state of Texas. And then stay uh, for lunch over on Saturday, come out to the breakout session that Kelly Perry is hosting um, and go see Todd and a few other amazing pe uh, people uh, speak. So thank you so much, Todd. Take care. So thank you guys so much for logging in. I'm sorry that it ran a little bit late, but to me, I, I felt like this information was really important to get out there, especially for those who live uh, in the DFW area and in the Metroplex areas. Um, this is one of the things to look out for, guys. So is the, the terrorism threat. There's a lot to this border invasion uh, that, that, that we have to keep our head in our swivel and we have to stand up and fight back. Go to securetheborder.us, securetheborder.us, sign up for the emails there, share out this information. Um, also, I did uh, get my first commentary with the Texas scorecard about the influx facilities. Uh, it was published today. Um, I was so excited to be able to hopefully spread this information. Um, so share that link too. I, I shared that on my social media and I'll be sharing this live video uh, and the um, the commentary link in the next email blast. So make sure to go to securetheborder.us, sign up for those emails. And then also we do have the convention coming up. We have our Friday night events. America, the America project uh, is going to be, uh, is, is going to be coming out in full force. Uh, Latinos for America first, big shout out. Uh, I'm going to be a, a speaker. Uh, one of the few speakers there, Bryson Gray and Isaiah Robbins are going to be performing at the end. Uh, come out and see, um, uh, the, the Flynn speak and Patrick Byrne and Frank Lopez uh, is going to be speaking. Maria, so many great speakers uh, coming out to that event um, to, to educate on what's going Oh, Jason Jones, Victor, uh, Victor Avila, um, all the big names. I'm just a little one. <laughs> uh, forgive me y'all. It's been a long day. I was out there uh, at a baseball game earlier in Round Rock and I've gotten very little sleep, but you know, I've gotten used to that by now, but anyways, need more coffee. Um, good, but visit securetheborder.us, share out this information, sign up for those emails. And if you guys can uh, spare anything to be able to help uh, secure the border grow and help keep us fighting for the great state of Texas, there is that donate button. We do have a Venmo um, and a um, and a give, send, go set up there. So if you guys you guys can find that and donate there. Uh, every little bit helps. Uh, we've started the long, tedious process of submitting the 501c4 for the official organization. Super excited about that. But guys, there is so much coming up. F future border trips, follow-up trips with these influx facilities. Uh, I was actually at, invited out there to the CIS immigration um, um uh, convention coming up in September. Uh, it, it's free to attend, but I got to somehow make it up there to DC. Uh, so if you guys can help to, 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 to donate to secure the border and everything that we're doing, we've got some exciting 
things happening. Really excited about it, but unfortunately it does cost money and my husband and I are pretty well tapped out at this point. So if you can, if you're able to spare a few dollars, please do so. Um, also, you know, just like and share this video, visit, like I said, visit the website, sign up for those emails. Thank you guys so much for logging in and taking the time to hear this broadcast. Um, and thank you for doing your part and sharing this information um, and, and, and doing all that you can together with myself and with Secure the Border to secure our sovereign state border and save our sweet and precious Texas. God bless you guys. Y'all have a great night and a great weekend. Thank you for your time and let's go Brandon.